You're about to listen to the Meet Mediocrity Podcast, Season 5, Episode 18. The 103rd episode of the Meet Mediocrity Podcast, and my guest today is Nikki Wilson, the CEO of a UK organization called Make Birth Better, an organization that is focused on birth trauma and birth trauma awareness. Ready to hear more from Nikki? Let's get started. And welcome to the Meet Mediocrity Podcast, Season 5, Episode 18. This is your host, Mitch, and I had an amazing conversation with Nikki Wilson, the CEO of Make Birth Better. Um, we can find out, you can find out information about Make Birth Better at their website, makebirthbetter.org, and on their Instagram page at makebirthbetter. Postnatal depression, post-traumatic stress disorder. These are, you know, we've heard of, of, of I, I've heard of postpartum depression. I had not heard of um, pre- and postnatal PTSD, but it's clearly a thing. And it's clearly a thing that people don't talk about. And they don't talk about it enough, and it puts mothers, and it actually puts um, the partners um, of those mothers um, in quite a traumatic uh, place when they when people suffer from it. Too many people suffer in silence because they believe that you know having a child is perhaps the most precious and important thing that a human being can do. And to, for that experience to be clouded by trauma, whether it's um, throughout the pregnancy, during birth, um, postnatal, um, women um, and, and their partners just feel unprepared uh, for birth. They don't feel unprepared for what um, happens to them. And, and uh, oftentimes feel in a are left feeling in a very bad place and uh nikki and her organization make birth better are focused on how to provide support training campaigns to support the birth experience to support parents um in the birth experience and not just the parents but also to support caregivers, um, whether it's midwives or, or physicians or nurses. It's an incredibly important goal, objective, and it's one that's not talked about very often. It's interesting because, frankly, if a parent goes through the birthing experience, um, experiencing trauma, their their babies have to be impacted by it. And if their babies are impacted by it, those babies become people. We were all babies at one time. <laughs> and, you know, making and supporting parents through birth to make birth better is actually creating a better experience for the parents and the babies. And 
I guess indirectly humanity. That was what came out of the conversation I had with Nikki. So um, I really don't want to steal any thunder from Nikki in this incredibly important subject. Um, Nikki tells the story very, very well about her own experience about um, Make Birth Better, about the services it provides. Um, so I'm going to let you hear uh, this in her own words. So without further delay, here's my conversation with Nikki Wilson. So Nikki, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you for having me. So for the listeners who are, I have listeners in my podcast, Nikki, who listen like religiously every week. Yeah. And I have listeners who jump in and binge listen to, you know, a bunch at a time. But for those who are listening chronologically and you're confused about Wilson last week and Wilson this week. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. um, This is Nikki Wilson, Rob Wilson's wife. Um, Actually, um, and and don't tell Rob I said this. I've already can tell the more interesting Wilson. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but Nikki, I'm really glad you joined me because I, I was telling you how I found you um, having a lovely dinner with a bunch of work colleagues that included your sister-in-law. Um, the conversation turned to beer, which of course turned to your husband. And um, shortly after that, um, the conversation turned to his far more interesting and uh, talented wife. And I said, well, I really like to meet Nikki and the fact that you've <laughs> agreed to join me makes me quite happy. So, um, Nikki, the conversation today and and what you're involved with is far more um, important, I think, than beer. Um, Yeah, I think think Rob would agree. So we're not doing him a disservice. So that's okay. um, (laughs) But Nikki, um, you lead an organization called Make Birth Better. And um, before we, I don't want to dive too deeply into it just yet, but I'd like you to introduce it. And then we'll go back and talk a little bit about how it came into existence and and how you got involved. So what is Make Birth Better? Um, In my office last week, I use a co-working space and a guy kind of introduced himself and said, hi, what do you do? And I said, oh, I run Make Birth Better. And he said, I love that name because that just says exactly what you do in your name. And I was like, yes, that's true. So essentially, we exist to make birth better um, for all. And more specifically, we're about ending suffering from birth trauma. (laughs) Slight caveat at this point is most people's default when you use those two words together, birth and trauma, is that they assume that you're exclusively talking about the birth itself. itself. (laughs) And whilst we, of course, a lot of the trauma we're talking about does relate to the birth itself, we're actually the more accurate kind of psychological term, if you like, is uh, perinatal trauma. So right from that moment, perhaps where you decide that you would like to become a parent, um, all the way through that that journey, which of course includes birth and, uh, you know, the, the months and perhaps for some people years afterwards. So for example, you can be, you can suffer breastfeeding trauma. That's a kind of nice example to kind of bring bring to light that we're not we're not just talking about the birth itself, but okay. yeah, trauma is a big word <laughs> which we're trauma, very aware of. Trauma is a big word that actually, it's amazing how I spent most of my adult life assuming that um, trauma was a rare and and severe occurrence until I realized my goodness, I've had my fair share of trauma and oh my goodness, so have most people. Yeah. Um, 
but caring for ourselves and each other is what would make this world a better place. And that's one of the things you're doing. So thank you for that. Um, so, okay. Now we understand what make birth better is. We're going to dive much deeper into it later, but how did you become involved with make birth better? How did this become, how did this become a, a um, draw for you? Yeah. Good question. Um, so the, I guess there's two, as a kind of twofold answer to that. There's partly my professional background. So I've worked in the charity sector or third sector, social enterprise and a space um, since I was really a, a student. Um, so kind of 18, 19, which is when I met Rob, last week's guest. Um, <laughs> and really that is how I felt I had the confidence to step up and, and take this role a few years ago um, because I'd, I'd you know, had enough experience and um, built my confidence to a level where I felt like, actually, no, I can run something. I'm ready. I'm, <laughs> I'm good for this. Um, so there's that. But then, of course, like in a lot of charity sector um, jobs, of course, there's a personal element to this too. Of course. So in 2014, when I had, um, we had our first son, Thomas, I suffered um, postnatal PTSD, mm -hmm. which was at the time a total curveball. I went from someone who was overjoyed to be pregnant and longed to be a mum and, you know, has... I'm not going to swear on your podcast, but my my I remember saying to my work colleagues, having a kind of um, a long rooted in interest in meditation, that I was just going to meditate the beep out of it. So I was going to be fine, <laughs> right? Because I was just going to meditate. I try to I try to do that yeah. often, and there's certain things that works, and there are just some yeah, things that out. it doesn't. Yeah, no, it turns <laughs> out that that doesn't work. Um, so yeah, that that really was my story. You know, I remember so vividly sending a message to my two closest girlfriends. Um, the kind of days and I couldn't tell you exactly when it was, it was within days and weeks after having had my son and just saying to them I you know my, I feel like my life's been shattered into a million pieces and I don't know when I'm going to see you again but I really hope you can help me climb this mountain um, and to say I thought I would never put my life back together doesn't really doesn't really cover it when you're it's really poorly like that it's it's yeah. a very extreme experience and yeah it's that's a very extreme experience and you i know others who've been through that and you suffered through it where you did you find the support obviously you're here yeah. so you found the support you needed but how did yeah. you stumble across the support you needed yeah thank you um well of course I did hence why I'm very much here and and all those pieces have been put back together probably in a slightly different way some with some cracks in between but um I mean I to paint a picture really of what it felt like in those really I think I can confidently say dark days where I um became very strongly dissociated so the kind of world's going on around me but I'm not in it um I couldn't leave my bedroom or look out the window of my bedroom without having a panic attack I couldn't leave my front door um my life basically just went from being very open 
um, and worldly wise to just being just tiny minuscule existence with me and my new baby and my husband. Um, and I did get help. Um, I knew I wasn't well, right? Instantly, there was no delusion or psychosis in there. This wasn't postpartum psychosis. I, I, I knew this was not how I should be feeling. Um, but when you're suffering from, you know, post-traumatic stress symptoms and people suffer in a whole range of ways. I happen to suffer very acutely, very quickly, which is actually quite unusual, mm. but um, people can associate perhaps just to this sense that my sense of threat was so heightened. I didn't want anybody in my home. I couldn't fall asleep unless my mum held my hand to tell me I wasn't dying. So mm -hmm. she was like one of the few people in the kind of in the in the sanctum I would let in the front door. Um, but anybody just I didn't feel safe in, in anybody's company bar a tiny, tiny handful. So um, finding that help was, of course, difficult. I won't go into the trials and tribulations of our National Health Service. <laughs> Incredible though it might be, it does have huge gaps around perinatal mental health. I'm in the United States. It's okay. worse. <laughs> yes, it is worse. I, I know that to be true. Exactly. So we, you know, we tried that direction. It was kind of like, yes, if you wait and then you speak to someone else and they speak to someone else. And the difficulty with that kind of prescriptive approach was they just wanted to know if I was suicidal. Right. And because I wasn't suicidal at that time, I I didn't meet the kind of urgent criteria. So I went down the kind of the next flowchart of options, which involved me being seen very slowly. So we managed to find a kind of a friend of a friend who did that's all right, mates rates counseling. But if I'm truly honest, she was a newly qualified therapist who didn't know about birth trauma and you know this is only just beginning to change in a lot of psychological disciplines that this is becoming much better understood so that supported me to a certain extent um and then I had a really amazing GP who um you know I was taking some low level medication and then after six months I was mentally feeling much more steady, but physically suffering so much with the symptoms mm -hmm. of anxiety and stress that I did start taking an SSRI, so a, um, a serotonin-based antidepressant. Mm -hmm. And that really helped to soothe some of those physical symptoms, enough that I managed a skeleton version of myself to go back to my job at that time at nine months. But it was, you know, in hindsight, absolutely crazy that I tried to, to even do that. And then really, I think the most shocking thing for me was um, the way I found out that I had postnatal PTSD was um, obviously, you know, the BBC. Mm -hmm. I know all your listeners will probably know of the BBC yep. um, and they have uh, loads of great content. And there was a Radio 4, BBC Radio 4 program on birth trauma. And my mum listened to it. She's an avid listener. And she said, Nikki, I think this is going to be really hard for you to listen to. But I think you need to listen to this. Mm -hmm. So I did. And then it was really hard. And then I basically emailed, turns out, one of the UK's top researchers on birth trauma, who I now work with. She then um, kind of transferred me to basically the place where I could find the right kind of therapy. And two years after I'd had my son, I was given a kind of tick sheet for PTSD and I was able to tick every box. And at that point, I was like, how can this be a thing? How can... Nobody in society understands that women and birthing people can be traumatized by birth. 
So there you go. That's my because <laughs> once because once again because once again human beings um, are not nearly as um, sympathetic and empathetic a- as they should be. Mm. Um, probably for fear that they will see their own weaknesses, but. Yeah. Um, What's interesting um, in listening to your story, Nikki, is I had a friend, a very good friend of mine, who's also um, a work colleague at the time I interviewed her for the podcast, who, you know, went through her own, went through um, a suicidal um, period of time. And fortunately, she's come come out the other side in a good place. But it was a, a long time um suffer from from mental illness who just who just who had a a strong bout or period of time that that put her to a different place in this case we're talking about child not even necessarily childbirth but 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 planning or or planning childbirth or planning or or, or becoming pregnant or childbirth or post-childbirth that's the trigger in someone who's not necessarily suffering from mental illness beforehand Yeah. Um, do you, I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot because I didn't actually check this, but what's the research behind that? I mean, just, just a, <laughs> what is, is it, is it yeah. hormonal? Like, I, I don't yeah, know. Good question. Really good question. So um, if you have pre-existing mental health difficulties, which I did though, I was mild to moderate and I never would have mm-hmm. foreseen when, yeah. um, you are, you are more predisposed to, to suffering from birth trauma. So that is important mm-hmm. to say, but that is not, it's it's not one in the same. So right. a lot of people who are um, deeply distressed by their experience have not had any previous mental health mm-hmm. difficulties. So, I mean, the research is, um, is really only 20-ish years old, you know, 20 or so years ago, this top researcher I meant I mentioned Professor Susan Ayres um, she was told categorically that women could not be traumatized by birth okay mm. and only in 2014 um, nice um, which is kind of our um, clinical approval organization in the UK only in 2014 did they acknowledge that birth could be a cause of trauma so they acknowledged it as a potentially traumatic event mm-hmm. so we're really new in this space what we know from research and we mentioned this just before didn't we is that up to between 25 and 40 percent of people find their birth in some way deeply distressing mm-hmm. um, and the research is really interesting so to look specifically at the birth itself just for a moment what you can see is that um, at least a third of those uh, birth trauma cases are are tied almost exclusively to what we would call interpersonal factors so that's really just about human to human level how safe did you feel Mm. how psychologically held did you feel how to what extent you know did were you loved and looked after in your most vulnerable moment? Mm-hmm. And as soon as some of those things start to unravel, as soon as someone starts to not feel safe, not feel held, not feel listened to, um, that's where we know we can see the beginning of birth trauma. So there. So first of all, there's a few things you said, Nikki. First of all, you said how um, people with um, 
I hate to use the term, but a pre-existing condition yeah. to be more prone to it. Although, yeah. Nikki, I hate to say this, but I think there are many, if not most people who have some form of anxiety or depression yeah, yeah, and they exactly. just don't, they just don't get, yeah. you know, that it's just yeah. not diagnosed or, yes. or not acknowledged. So yeah. saying that, that a pre-existing condition could cause it, I, I'm sorry. That means everyone <laughs> is vulnerable in my opinion, or certainly yeah. close to everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing you talked about is this, this feeling of vulnerability. Yeah. And it sounds to me like that is something that with a lot of um, sensitivity training, both in the medical profession, but also with spouses, a a lot can be done to improve that experience for the birthing mother. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. And we're a huge part of our training. So um, a a percentage or a chunk of what we're doing at Make Birth Better is training healthcare professionals. And one of the areas that we're training them around is communication and language. We run an annual campaign called Every Word Counts. Um, and a lot of uh, the, the work that needs to be done is around improving compassion-based interpersonal skills. What I will say is at Make Birth Better, this is such a messy, systemic, nuanced, complex conversation that we're really just skimming the surface of here today, Mitch, because what we know, of course, is that many of the people in these healthcare professions absolutely signed up for the right reason. They're absolutely the right type of person to provide compassionate care, but they are not being looked after themselves. Okay. So we know this in the NHS. So if they're not being themselves left to feel safe and held and looked after and cared for in their professions, in their day-to-day work, they it's a tall order to then ask them to show up and do that for another individual. So we have to be really careful not to just point the blame and say, you know, it's just as simple as better training about, you know, compassionate skills for, for healthcare professionals. It's not. That's one area. You also need to look at how those healthcare professionals are being looked after themselves. You also need to look at the layer around that, around what does their system and their organisation tell them about how they're meant to behave? And then around that, what does society tell women, birthing people, partners, families around how birth should be um, and how women should behave? Um, So, as I say, it's very nuanced and it's really complicated. It's incredibly, you just... (sighs) Maybe, maybe, um, you know, maybe I shouldn't be having an aha moment on my own podcast, but uh, that's that's a, a huge comment because um, yeah. as you started speaking, I started thinking, oh, I know a lot of doctors with terrible bedside manner. They're all, you know, there are a lot of them who who fancy themselves as highly trained scientists. Yeah, I heard a story. I won't name the people because I don't, I don't want to betray their confidence. But I know a um, a person who was at the orthopedist with their child, mm-hmm. and um, the orth the child um, had an injured leg, and the orthopedist uh, took pictures, X rays, and and came back into the room and said, "That's cancer," mm. like that. And the entire experience from the moment of recognition all the way through treatment was, was shaped mm-hmm. by that reaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, cool. it, set, it set everyone on their heels mm. instead of feeling like, 
we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna fight this. Mm-hmm. It was it was like thrown at you. Yeah. And and my reaction when you started speaking was, you know, the, these doctors, not all of them, but the doctors <laughs> who fancy themselves as you know yeah. scientists and not humans. Yeah. yeah. And then you said, well, actually, let's put ourselves in the doctor's shoes. Yeah. Exactly. So. And yeah. that is a big aha moment, Nikki, because you know what. You know, we talk about therapy and we talk about, you know, people needing to take care of themselves. And how often does therapy turn to your childhood? Yeah. And what kind of training do parents have? Yeah. We all sit there and say, well, it's a doctor, it's a parent, it's a whatever. Mm -hmm. They should know Mm -hmm. better, but they don't Mm -hmm. because they're humans and they weren't trained to deal with that. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about the training that you are doing. I understand it's nuanced and I understand it's multi-layered, but tell me how you're tackling that. Yeah, so um, we're providing training through lots of different mediums. Obviously, with the pandemic, it was in a strange way helpful for us to navigate this online offline decision about how best to train. So we have um, for the last two years exclusively trained online. So we're running um, courses that a complete multitude of healthcare professionals can access um, online, so regular courses. Um, We run an annual birth trauma summit. We think it's the world's only annual birth trauma summit, so we're doing our seventh one this year. Um, That's also online. And then we do a lot of what we call bespoke training, which is largely into NHS teams, um, providing them with more tailored training that kind of meets meets their needs. But within that mix, just to kind of bring that to life, what we've just said, we would train, let's say that, you know, the general course that we run online, we would introduce birth trauma, what it is. Um, We'd discuss those individual and systemic factors that are really important for us to understand. Um, Then we would spend a whole module just on the cost of caring. Straight away, we would be really supporting them to understand what is um, vicarious trauma, what is moral injury, what is, you know, and and so on. There are lots of different compassion fatigue and burnout, all these things which, you know, are super prevalent in particularly in uh, maternity services. Then we will talk, of course, about treatment and healing and then all of the different professional perspectives. Um, so, yeah, it, it's it's going really well and um, we're getting great feedback. And it's the work that maternity professionals or anyone working, you know, you might call them birth workers. It's the work they want to do. A lot of people, you're, you're called to work in this space by mm-hmm. and large. And you show up because you care. So when people have bad care, yes, of course, there might be an individual, you know, similar to perhaps that doctor you described whose bedside manner could categorically requires improvement. But in a lot of cases, when we're not putting people into a system that gives them a chance, gives the women, the partners, the birthing people and the professionals a chance to have a good experience. Wow. So this is nuanced and complicated. we keep talking about birth trauma and yes. um, before, before uh, that, that famous dinner in London, when I was having a uh, dinner with uh, some colleagues, including your sister-in-law and she introduced me to you, I hadn't heard the term birth trauma. Yeah. I heard the term um, um, postpartum depression. Yeah. And I know people who suffered from postpartum depression, but my question is, can we talk a little bit about, What's different? I feel like like birth yeah. trauma is is perhaps broader. Yeah, I'd like to understand yeah. it better. Yeah. So, um, 
you know, what you've just experienced is is not unusual. So, of course, trauma is a big word. We naturally relate it to, let's say, war, loss, mm-hmm. neglect, abuse. Um, and birth, as I said, has only recently entered that lexicon within the recent decades. Um, what makes it stand apart is that birth can be a positive experience. So that's really important for people to know that it can be. And in many cases, it really should have been a really positive, empowering, life-changing experience in a good way. And, you know, as I, as I said, birth trauma, um, we tend to pinpoint onto the birth itself. And of course, most people could have endless conversations and often do as soon as I work in this space, will want to disclose their difficulties that I, they had with, with, their, with their birth. But this also includes what's called reproductive trauma. So you don't need to think that hard about why it might be really deeply distressing to go through rounds of IVF and perhaps not have a baby or perhaps go through those rounds of IVF, have one baby and feel this immense pressure for it to just be the most amazing experience of your life, right? So that's a really helpful um, example. You've also got, for example, people who suffer from hyperemesis during, during pregnancy. You don't need to think that hard about what being contained into your room for nine months and retching and vomiting consistently might do to somebody, do you? Yeah. Okay. So right, there we go. Of course, that makes sense. And then breastfeeding trauma or grief for a lot of women and birthing people is a very, very real thing. Perhaps um, they couldn't feed in the way that they wanted to. Perhaps they feel like they've let their baby down. And for some individuals, this is really, really deeply distressing. So hopefully that kind of paints a picture of everything we're talking about. What's not different about it, Mitch? And I think trauma is part of the human condition. So 70% of adults have had at least one traumatic experience, okay? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the I'm way surprised they... it's only 70. I yeah, bet you it's no, even more. The other 30% did, wouldn't admit it. Yeah, probably. <laughs> exactly. Of course. So this is not... But the way it makes people feel, whether they've been to war, whether they have suffered... Okay, this, is a, this might be a stretch, but if they've suffered abuse, mm-hmm. if they've had a traumatic birth experience... The, the clinical symptoms that they will feel will be the same. Hmm. Okay, so what, what they're experiencing is, you know, they meet the same clinical diagnosis of PTSD, all of those people. Okay, so we're saying for them, they're, they're likely to, to some extent, have some re-experiencing of those traumatic events. So that might look like nightmares or flashbacks. They're likely to be using some kind of avoidance behaviours, So perhaps avoiding the setting where they gave birth or other pregnant people or any conversation around birth, they are going to feel a very heightened sense of threat. So they're going to feel jumpy, excessively nervous, very hypersensitive. Mm-hmm. And I would say as someone who's experienced anxiety and who, who has experienced PTSD, it's like a whole different thing. So someone like takes your nervous system and just ratchets it up. So everything that might normally stimulate you just a little bit makes you feel totally wired, including the TV, including the light in the trees. So it's very, very, very strong. And then the last thing is just very deep negative thoughts and emotions and then might be laid with a lot of guilt a lot of shame a lot of desperation which is of course why people are very quick to assume and blur the lines between ptsd and postnatal depression this is so important um because 
like like most human suffering, the it's made worse by not talking about it, acknowledging it, finding help. Um, so I'd love to um, find out from you other than go to makebirthbetter.org. Um, like there are, there are women listening and men listening to this podcast who um, either are pregnant, know someone who's pregnant, know someone who wants to be pregnant. <laughs> um yeah. How, how can how can people begin to better prepare for the experience yeah. so they suffer a little bit less? Yeah, yes, yeah. Or don't suffer at all. Right. And we have to, you know, this is not a hopeless conversation at all. Good. You know, physiologically birth for many is an experience that is is works out absolutely fine. Right. Um, so that's really really important and I, I don't think I'd be able to work in this space if I didn't believe that um it's important that you mentioned the men the fathers the partners um because we know that um they can suffer PTSD too from what they've seen or what they've experienced so birth trauma is not exclusive to the woman or birthing mm -hmm. person Interesting. okay that's I, really I, important I, I'm glad you said that because yeah. I was not thinking that no, so they're so important. And those numbers are really underreported. Um, and for example, at our summit this year, we have a dad who's who's written about his PTSD from you know, again, like, of course, of course, you just of course an individual who's absolute most loved one is going through something physically and mentally traumatic right in front of you. Yep. And the expectation from society is that they just pick themselves up, pull themselves together and crack on. <laughs> uh, so I, you don't have to think that hard. None of these things are a stretch, are they? Once you actually engage your brain. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> um, so how can you prepare? I mean, you can prepare by, um, of course, trauma-informed antenatal education. So you want to consider what education you're getting around um, pregnancy and birth and the postnatal period. So we would always advise uh, an, an educator that was very well-rounded, that was going to introduce you to all of the potential mental and physical eventualities that come with being pregnant and at the birth itself and the postpartum experience as well. Um, I would always really be encouraging people to kind of be really honest around their mental health, right from that point around, from the point where they would perhaps like to become parents. And then let's say they do conceive and their pregnancy and it's a, a pregnancy where they carry the baby through to term. Throughout that whole experience, even just in, in that first upfront chunk, it is really important that we are we find the loved ones and perhaps the professionals where we can be really, really honest. So I've just got a friend I'm texting literally these last two days, an old colleague. She's pregnant for the first time and she, it sounds like, is suffering from what's called tocophobia. So that's an intense fear of giving birth. But she's reached out to me and I've been able to say, OK, great. Not great that you're feeling that way, but great that you're reaching out. Yes. And here's some options for some really good therapists. And if you know you need to talk to somebody, um, having the language around um, around trauma is hard because a lot of us don't feel it's a valid word that we're allowed to use. But if you can and you're 
in a position to be seeking um, professional support with therapy. You want to just be asking before you say, oh, yes, yes, to any therapist. You want to be understanding what experience they might have had Mm -hmm. with trauma and um, trauma-informed ways of working. Um, There's a lot you can do as well to really think about your birth and that experience. And as I said, thinking about if you know you're stepping into a system that might be struggling to hold space for individuals because it stretched itself what can you do kind of put your bulletproof jacket on build up your really core support network so that you can have that support network whilst you are in hospital okay so for example can you have your therapist on facetime mm-hmm. can you um, employ a doula to come with the experience through you uh, with you can you um, think about having some immediate support after the baby is born so the more you can do to pre- build your village and really be honest around who are the people in your life that make you feel really loved really safe really supported and recruit them all I mean the birth of my last one I had like a little harem of people <laughs> and I and they all knew their different roles and some of them was to send me like silly comedy memes some of them was to um to send me like beautiful meditative words some of them it was just to tell me they loved me and I that went a really long way to helping me feel safe and loved it, and held in that space it's okay it's okay to be a, vi- a little bit vulnerable on the front end to be well oh, in the back end for goodness nah, sake not even a little bit let's get real <laughs> a lot I bit mean, well oh totally i mean i you know i my style is all about showing up super authentically and you know, walk into that room with your vulnerability like that's and anyone that's not showing their vulnerability is just covering up because it's there all the time isn't it mm-hmm. so yeah we've just got to get good at sharing that side of things as if it's easy i know it's very hard (laughs) well you know it's it is very hard but 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 except accepting yourself and your feelings yeah it really shouldn't be that hard no but it is it is it is because it's it's vulnerable it's 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 making yourself vulnerable nikki last question and i thought that was the last question but this will be the last question instead um we're living in in potentially unprecedented times mm-hmm. um, between the pandemic and now we've got you know a war going on uh, that that's highly publicized around the world, which creates additional stress just in human yes. beings in general. Yes. Um, outside the obvious question, does external stress create that make this harder? The answer of co- is of course yes. Um, but my my question is, um, have you seen? any specific things that have kind of surfaced as kind of new given the stresses in the world, because I'm thinking about listeners who um, might be pregnant right now or trying to become pregnant or have just had a baby and, and, you know, there might be, you know, the feelings we talked about um, are universal, but there might be some things that are relatively new given world Mm -hmm. circumstances. I'm curious whether you've seen something like that. Mm. Um, I think (laughs) what I, there's a lot of new things coming into this space 
So a lot of different modalities of healing, different ways that people can find their journey to feeling well again. We don't need to assume that it is the drug, that it is the EMDR, and which is a type of therapy that's very commonly used for trauma or the trauma-informed CBT. It's not just about those classics anymore. Mm-hmm. It's about a full spectrum of things that can support an individual in their healing. To what extent that's coming up that's new because of the current world affairs? Um, I would struggle to find many uh, think kind of super positive things that are coming out of the way, the state of the world I, right I now in terms any. of how it's helping women. I think the only thing is um, we know from obviously analyze the impact of the pandemic, for example, on um, women and birthing people is that yes, it did contribute to people's stress levels, which did contribute to trauma. That's undeniable. Mm-hmm. But equally, there were some protective factors around the pandemic that did actually counterbalance that, not in all cases, but perhaps the wards were more quiet. Mm. Perhaps there was more of a sense of solidarity in the staff because they were all fighting something together. Mm. Okay, so there are certain quite unique circumstances that come out of any global shift and change. Um, I think my advice would be right now is you, you cannot deny that for not all, but for most people, the base level of stress is higher than it was before. Mm-hmm. We have to acknowledge that. And then we have to really do our absolute best to consider what we can do to mediate that too. So do you need to delete the news off your phone? <laughs> like like genuinely, but genuinely <laughs> you know, I didn't watch the news the whole time I was, pre- I was pregnant with my third during the pandemic. I didn't have the app. I didn't watch the news. Like we can make boundary choices around what we choose to consume in terms of the media around us so that there for example is is one hack but we need to just think about what what is within our sphere of influence what is within our immediate power to change um is it calling certain people closer is it deleting an app is it admitting to your vulnerability is it finding a different mode of wellness that really makes you feel soothed um that's probably yeah that's probably what i'm saying well nikki i just want to say thank you as i was listening to you speak i started thinking about um this isn't just about making parents feel better during birth this is kind of like a base humanity improvement (laughs) thing yeah because life starts with birth yeah and um, if you are, um, as, a, as a newborn, experiencing um, people around you, your parents and others who are in a good spot, well, you're, 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 it's a great yeah. start to your life. Yeah, that's and undeniable. If and if you, start, if you start life with people who are, who are um, suffering from, from trauma in a mm. serious way, that impacts humanity. So thank you for thank you for helping humanity, Nikki. <laughs> That's big. Thanks, Mitch. <laughs> well, I'll just keep you know doing what I'm doing. <laughs> well, well, just to tie just to tie this to on on a lighter note, just to tie this to our last podcast, you're helping uh, newborns um, and, and their parents um, start the newborn's life in a better place. And, 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 and once they turn of, of age, Rob's helping them have a good beer. Yeah. Well, so exactly. it's all, it's, <laughs> we've got the whole, we're running the entire spectrum here. Yeah. We um, are. 
Oh. Can I just do a little yes, shout please. out? I, I haven't promoted it at all, but obviously on the Make Birth Better website, there's a big old button on there that says support and it's step by it's going to talk you through everything that we that we've just briefly covered today. Mm-hmm. And if you can't find what you need, just email us. You know, we have emails from around the world all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so please get in touch and if we can do anything to help you connect with you know the support you need, we we'll do it. And I will um, promote that uh, website and link in the uh, show notes. And Nikki, once again, thank you for being on the podcast and thank you for doing what you do. Oh, thanks, Mitch. Take care. So that was a great conversation. And I have to tell you, I was a very, very lucky guy. So I told the story how um, my colleague and I were at a dinner and she... (laughs) mentioned her brother who was Rob Wilson who was on my podcast last week talking about his uh, socially responsible craft brewery and how they are combating food waste uh, by turning excess bread into beer and then the conversation turned to her even more impactful at least in her words um, more um, amazing sister-in-law, Nikki. And I was very lucky. I said, you know, do you think both your brother and sister-in-law would be guests on my podcast? And they both agreed to do it. And they both provided amazing conversations for me and a lot of learning. So, um, Nikki, thank you so much for everything you're doing uh, for families, for mothers, for healthcare workers around around the birth, the pregnancy and birth experience, and um, making it less taboo to talk about um, post uh, PTSD, postnatal PTSD, and prenatal PTSD, um, and just kind of helping uh, it be less taboo to talk about and 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 make more services available. Also, I appreciate you speaking to the UK government and making uh, more awareness on the subject, so hopefully we can get more funding to support families um, around this. And I also want to thank all my listeners for supporting the Meet Mediocrity podcast. Um, as you know, this is episode 103. Um, I've made a final decision that this episode um, will be the third to last episode of season five. The two more episodes coming up. That will make it 105 in total before we take a break for the summer. So um, thank you again. Please enjoy the lovely spring weather. And for now, please continue to stay safe, stay healthy, stay positive, and be well. Take care, everyone.